Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve worker safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Risk assessment and management is central to the work that safety professionals do every day. Effective risk management helps you prevent injuries and fatalities and create safer and healthier workplaces. Here with me today to talk more about the importance of risk and safety and how safety professionals can become better risk managers is one of the best in the business when it comes to risk assessment and management. Uh, he is uh, Georgie Popov. Georgie is a professor in the School of Geoscience, Physics, and Safety Sciences at the University of Central Missouri. He is also a member of ASSP's Heart of America chapter. Georgie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate you taking the time to come on. So, uh, as I mentioned at the top, there, you know, risk is so central to the the work that safety professionals do every day in preventing injuries and fatalities. But from from your perspective, why is having a comprehensive risk education so important to being an effective safety professional? Well, that's a great uh, question, and I let me tell you my story. Um, I was a chemical officer. And while I was studying at the Command and General Staff College here at uh, Fort Leavenworth, uh, we discussed uh, Army technical publications like uh, Army Techniques uh, Publication 519, which was a field manual uh, back then. And uh, that publication actually has a risk uh, management component in, in a way you can consider that being an Army risk management uh, standard. Uh, we also discussed uh, the NIL standard, 882. Uh, however, there was no international risk management standard uh, at that time. So as a chemical officer, you have to think two levels up. That's what they uh, teach you uh, at the Command and General Staff College. And so whatever your purpose, uh, you have to think two levels up. And then uh, when uh, I started uh, working for uh, a private company, I was thinking, well, that must be easier in a private mid-sized company. So I worked for an environmental remediation uh, company for a number of years. And at that time, uh, I would be considered uh, early career occupational uh, safety and health and environmental uh, professional. So I was thinking, well, that uh, that should be easy. You know, nobody dies here. The, the army is a whole different story. So I did by the book job hazard analysis. Uh, I had identified probably 70% of the hazards uh, associated with uh, that project that I was assigned. And as we all know, job hazard analysis or job safety analysis uh, are not that difficult. You identify the hazards, the potential consequences, one control measure, one. Uh, and sure enough, uh, it was to put uh, everyone in uh, personal protective equipment. And that was enough uh, back then. <laughs> 
So next thing to do is to go and tell your manager, uh, consider my manager was one level up uh, from uh, my position. And uh, back at that time, I was uh, comparing everything with uh, the military, thinking of two levels up. Uh, so I told him I identified all of these hazards, noticed hazards, that's what we have used uh, back then. Uh, and uh, I told him, uh, you know, if uh, we invest uh, so much money, we're going to fix all the issues and uh, we're in compliance with uh, OSHA regulations. Well, <laughs> you can't imagine how wrong I was. So... <laughs> Uh, apparently, he, he told me, well, sure, uh, go ahead and explain that to the CEO. And the CEO is waiting uh, on you. And I said, okay, you know, uh, early career uh, professional. I said, uh, perfect uh, opportunity. I'll go and uh, tell the CEO that we have all these problems and, you know, I identified all these hazards and uh, this and that. And... Uh, sure enough, I, I told you I was wrong. So most of the occupational health and safety and the environmental professionals at some point uh, in their career uh, handed uh, upper level uh, management uh, a list of hazards or compliance issues that were uh, found during the audit. In response, it's very likely that uh, upper management uh, handed the list back to uh, the early career professional and said, what does that mean? And I said, well, see, we have all these uh, hazards. Uh, we have a problem. So he told me, no, 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 no. We don't have a problem. You have a problem. <laughs> So that that was my experience. I uh, responded to the CEO's question by mentioning the possibility of the company being inspected by OSHA and fined a few thousand dollars for each violation. And, uh, and I also listed all the regulations that uh, may have been violated, like uh, 29 uh, CFR 1910 uh, 134. Respiratory uh, protection says uh, we need to do this and that. So he told me, well, why don't you go back to your office and uh, work on a risk assessment spreadsheet and uh, present uh, the findings uh, to me. Uh, he also said, oh, by the way, prepare cost-benefit analysis for me. So, you know, I was deflated, uh, needless to say. I went back to my office and I also told my manager, who was one level up uh, from my level, uh, and he probably knew what was going to happen uh, when I tried to speak uh, the compliance language uh, with uh, the CEO. Well, lessons learned. Uh, I realized that uh, I had to learn different uh, language, and that that's not because of my accent. Uh, it, was the business language that uh, I had to learn. So I went back to my office, uh, found a very interesting uh, OSHA presentation uh, titled Business Case for Safety. It was uh, published, uh, actually made available uh, back in 2004. And there it was. In that 
presentation, I found the answer why compliance is not the real answer to all these problems. Uh, I have never done a cost-benefit analysis before. I have never done OSH risk assessment uh, before. And I quickly realized that in order to convince the CEO, I needed to learn to speak their language. So OSH professionals should be speaking in a language that uh, the upper management commonly uses, and uh, that is the language of risk, not compliance. And let me tell you why the financial analysis was not uh, sufficient. So when I completed the cost-benefit analysis, uh, I found out that uh, we had to invest about $100,000 in order to avoid $7,000 OSHA fine. So how does that look like investing $100,000 to avoid $7,000 and that's uh, eventually? So I discussed the findings with my manager and uh, he was smiling and uh, told me, good luck uh, convincing the CEO with these numbers. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I added the component of risk, the personnel risk, the operational risk and uh, financial risk. Uh, so I did my homework and uh, next time I presented the case to the CEO, I had a cost-benefit analysis and risk assessment. So I had both. Uh, he looked at the numbers and said, uh, why didn't you tell me that last time? <laughs> said, well, <laughs> and... It was a funny story, but uh, I have to admit it wasn't a perfect uh, risk assessment. It wasn't a perfect uh, cost-benefit analysis, but it worked. And I have used a very simple qualitative uh, risk assessment uh, at that point, but uh, at the end of the day, it worked. Uh, the interesting thing was that... Uh, risk assessment matrix that uh, I converted uh, from the military standards was uh, very similar to the one required by U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So when we had to bid a Corps of Engineers project, uh, the CEO told me, you do the risk assessment now. And, uh, you know, I, I have to admit I wasn't uh, the most uh, experienced, but... Uh, Apparently, he was uh, convinced uh, by looking at what uh, I have done that uh, I can do that. Uh, and it's a simple risk assessment. Uh, it turned out that uh, the risk assessment is required for Corps of Engineers uh, project. Uh, it's called uh, activity hazard analysis, but includes a risk assessment uh, matrix. Now, bear in mind, that was uh, before 2009. In uh, 2009, ISO published the first uh, risk management uh, standard. And after that, it was uh, easier. You know, we had standards. Uh, we had well-described methods in uh, ISO 31010. Uh, so it's uh, a little bit easier these days. So I would encourage early career professionals to become familiar with uh, risk assessment uh, methods. And notice that uh, I mentioned job hazard analysis uh, before. Uh, 
job hazard analysis is generally not considered a risk assessment method. In its original form, it only includes the hazards, consequences, and simple control measures. It does not include the likelihood and risk level. That is what I did not include in my uh, first uh, conversation with uh, uh, the CEO. And uh, needless to say that uh, he looked at that job hazard analysis and said, well, it's uh, very unlikely to happen. So he told me to use uh, simple color coding uh, as well. Uh, Trust me, the upper level management uh, likes uh, color coding and traffic light uh, color coding to be more precise. Uh, We have seen that uh, before. So when I started uh, developing this uh, risk assessment tools, uh, he invited me to upper level decision-making meetings uh, after that. And there I was, not only thinking two levels up, but I was also talking to uh, the decision-makers and helping them uh, make uh, decisions. So I wish I had an effective uh, risk assessment and management education to answer your question. Uh, I had to learn it uh, the hard way. Uh, effective risk assessment was not uh, in the safety textbooks uh, back then. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at the safety textbooks, uh, 95% of them are hazard-based and uh, compliance-based. And I told you earlier, com- compliance didn't work for me. Now, uh, Think about that CEO question. Why would I invest $100,000 to avoid $7,000 social fine? Not to mention that uh, I was told that uh, we have good lawyers uh, who are probably going to negotiate uh, that fine down to about $1,000. So, you know, uh, disproportionate investment, not going to work. So, uh, yes. I wish I had uh, effective risk assessment education, not to mention that uh, back then when you say risk management, it was uh, immediately associated with uh, insurance. So you have insurance, you manage risk properly. Uh, That's, uh, of course, as we know now, uh, risk management is not just insurance uh, these days. And uh, that's why we have to educate all safety professionals to use proper terminology, having uh, effective uh, risk assessment and management education will help uh, all of us. Absolutely. That's a really great point. I'm glad you touched on you know, speaking the language of the CEOs and making a business case for safety because I know that's that's such an important part of this as well. Now, as as safety professionals move throughout their careers. There are so many different hazards and risks present in different workplaces, along with the fact that hazards and risks are always changing. So as they move through their careers, how can safety professionals best stay up on the latest hazards and risks in their work environments? Well, that that's a very, very interesting uh, question. And you're 100% correct uh, 
the risks are always changing. Uh, some of the risks uh, we face today did not exist five years ago. Uh, some of these risks didn't even exist yesterday. Uh, that's why uh, Bruce Lyon, uh, who is uh, the chair of uh, the technical advisory group, uh, developed uh, the risk continuum model, which was uh, published in uh, the ASSP technical report uh, titled uh, ASSP TR3110. And it was published uh, in 2020, just a couple of months ago. Uh, It's titled Risk Management Techniques for Safety Practitioners. So in this model, uh, he mentioned that we can uh, anticipate uh, the risks and that would be unknown uh, risk. But again, we can anticipate uh, some of uh, the risks. Then we have to move to emerging risks, which uh, we have to detect that emerging risk. Then we move to inherent risk, uh, which uh, is present and we can identify that kind of risk. And then we move to the so-called initial risk where we can assess uh, the risk. And if that risk is not acceptable, we have to treat uh, the risk and we'll arrive at uh, what is called uh, residual uh, risk. And uh, of course, uh, we have to estimate that risk and manage that residual risk. And that will give us the so-called future uh, state risk. Now, one thing we should mention here is we have to, when you think about risk treatment, we have to make sure we can identify all possible options, try to avoid the risk if that's uh, possible. But if it's not, uh, let's try not to create the so-called secondary uh, risks by, for instance, fixing uh, ergonomic uh, risk. We can create uh, a safety risk by uh, removing safeguards and things like that. So we have to make sure we don't uh, create uh, secondary uh, risk. And um, so based on uh, the risk development, uh, it uh, could be monitored. Uh, uh, We can ignore the risk. Uh, We can completely discard it or uh, we can select that uh, risk uh, for full uh, risk assessment, which, of course, uh, takes time. Right now, uh, something you, you touched on uh, earlier, speaking about your own experience, a lot of on the job learning, finding finding resources to to help you assess risks and then communicate those to the people higher up. But what have you found to be the best ways for safety professionals to learn how to assess and manage risk? That's an interesting one. So there are no best ways to educate uh, safety professionals. Uh, Just like there is no best risk assessment tool, uh, I often say that the best risk assessment tool is the one that uh, you have developed and the one that works for you. Uh, Well, now, seriously, um, there are plenty of uh, sources uh, these days. Luckily, uh, ASSP offers a great number of risk assessment and risk uh, management uh, courses. As I mentioned earlier, uh, risk 
management is a lot more than insurance uh, these days. Uh, this is the common language that uh, all of us should uh, understand. As far as the best ways to educate safety professionals on uh, assessing and managing risk, uh, we should mention a variety of uh, options. I would probably start with uh, the risk management standards. Uh, the good thing is that uh, these uh, standards are international and even if you work for a global company, uh, more likely you're going to use uh, the same standards. Uh, the problem with these standards uh, is uh, they're international. So I mentioned it's a good thing they're international, but the problem is uh, they're international. And what I mean is that sometimes we have to translate these standards to what works best for our profession. Uh, some of these standards, as you very well know, are not uh, safety-only uh, uh, standards. So usually uh, there are technical reports that will provide the so-called interpretation of uh, the standards. And we also have a number of textbooks that are available that uh, offer really good interpretation and uh, real world uh, examples. Um, one of the things that I don't like in, the, uh, in some of the OSH textbooks is they give you the example of uh, uh, you overslept uh, because you, your alarm did not go off, uh, you couldn't make coffee because the coffee machine did not work properly. And, uh, you know, examples like that, they're, they're good. But, you know, why don't you include something that's real? So perhaps uh, the best ways to educate uh, safety professionals on assessing and managing risk is a combination of uh, methods. So for a long time, I wanted to publish a book that will include uh, interpretation of the standards, uh, practical examples, uh, videos, interactive exercises, uh, interactive tools, quizzes, knowledge checks. Uh, have you seen an uh, OSH textbook with uh, embedded videos and uh, interactive risk assessment tools, Scott? <laughs> can't, can't say that I have. <laughs> uh, okay, well... Uh, same here, uh, right. you know, but uh, it's probably coming. Uh, it's 21st century after all. Right. You know, we can't uh, use uh, old uh, textbooks and, uh, you know, even the ones that were published five years ago, we have new standards now. Everything is changing so quickly. It's, uh, it's unreal. Mm -hmm. Think about that uh, for a moment. You know, iPhone is, uh, what, 15, 16 years old. Uh, you know, before that, we had flip phones. We had, uh, uh, we even had the, the phones that were as big as a brick, uh, you know. So uh, it's different uh, these days. So uh, Textbooks uh, like that are probably coming, but we're not uh, quite there yet. 
So another amazing opportunity is to uh, take a professional development course, or I would advise a number of uh, courses. So in these courses, we learn from each other. We use interactive tools uh, and exercises. We have great discussions. And uh, professional development is called uh, professional development for a reason. You never stop learning. Uh, I completed uh, all of the ASSP certificate programs. Uh, great courses, great uh, instructors. I learned uh, a lot from the great instructors and uh, very influential uh, safety uh, professionals. So to answer your question, unfortunately, there is no single best way to educate safety professionals. It uh, requires uh, self-disciplines, uh, discipline, continuous education and determination. Absolutely. That's that's a really good point. Now, uh, another big piece of this is training. Now, how can safety professionals take you know that that risk education and the knowledge they have and communicate it to their workers so they understand the risks they face? Because at the end of the day, you know the, the workers are on the job site dealing with these hazards and risks every day. So, what are the best ways for safety professionals to communicate those risks to them? That that is an amazing uh, question, and you know you mentioned uh, training. For me, uh, there is a big difference between training and uh, education uh, you can train a dog you know in the military they train you how to shoot right you don't have to think but for education uh, different uh, skills are uh, required and to answer your question about uh, communication uh, communication with uh, the workers requires a whole different uh, skill set. Uh, remember how I told you I had to communicate with the CEO in terms of uh, occupational risk, uh, operational risk, financial risk, and I would add strategic risk uh, to that. Uh, well, communicating with uh, workers requires a whole different approach. Uh, you can't use the same risk language to commun communicate risk to the CEO and uh, the workers. It's a different uh, language. Uh, in a way, you need uh, two different types of, of vocabulary in uh, terminology for workers versus uh, upper uh, level management. And guess who is going to do that? Well, that's us, uh, safety professionals. You know, we were, were very often placed in that situation where we have to use two different uh, types of communication uh, skills. So perhaps you can educate the workers to use uh, very simple uh, risk assessment tools. They know their tasks and operations very well. Uh, so in a way, you can consult them, but make sure you, you use appropriate uh, terminology. Uh, based on my experience, uh, technical terms and acronyms should be avoided when you uh, communicate with uh, line employees. Okay, uh, something something you you talk a, a lot about and actually teach a course about is uh, essential risk assessment tools. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what those tools are and why they're so important to you know the the risk assessment process. 
Well, thank you, Scott. Uh, this course is uh, actually considered a fundamental or uh, basic uh, risk uh, assessment course. Uh, it is designed for early career professionals who seek promotion, uh, being able to demonstrate uh, that uh, they have been indoctrinated in the subjects that are currently important to the management. And that will lead to uh, their advantages uh, when you are uh, familiar with uh, tools like that. That way you don't have to suffer like uh, I did in the CEO's uh, office. Uh, this course is uh, considered the first course of uh, the risk assessment uh, family of courses, uh, if you consider that. Um, so remember how I told you uh, my not so great experience with uh, uh, the CEO and that was because I was uh, considered an early career professional with uh, no risk assessment uh, experience. Uh, I wish I had taken this course uh, before my meeting with the CEO. <laughs> now, no, seriously, let, let me tell you a little bit uh, more about uh, the course. So this course actually includes four different uh, modules. In uh, module one, uh, we provide a foundational understanding of hazard, notice that hazard identification process and risk assessment uh, definitions. In this module, we discuss the differences between hazards and risks. And we'll also present a case study, which uh, we're going to use later on in the course. In module two, uh, we provide an overview of uh, essential qualitative, notice these are qualitative uh, risk assessment tools used by safety professionals and uh, essential risk assessment uh, methods listed in the ASSP risk management uh, standards are summarized in this module. Now, module three introduces uh, semi-quantitative uh, risk assessment tools and uh, in module four, Actually, we included uh, practical applications of uh, something very interesting. I call it uh, integrated uh, risk assessment tool. And uh, we included a couple of case studies. And in that integrated uh, uh, risk assessment tool, uh, we actually use a number of uh, different risk assessment tools. And we progress from one to another to another until we get to uh, both actually uh, OSH uh, risks and uh, we briefly touch on some of the business uh, risks from a business uh, perspective. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, model, uh, like I said, uh, because we combine essential risk assessment tools to demonstrate uh, successful risk reduction methodology. Okay, great. Yeah, and uh, encourage everybody to to check that out and uh, you know advance their risk education as as we've been talking about. Uh, uh, anything else you'd like to add about uh, risk education, risk assessment, risk management uh, as uh, as we wrap up? Well, probably uh, you shouldn't stop with uh, the fundamental uh, courses. Uh, I would encourage any safety professional to continue with the intermediate courses and uh, some 
advanced uh, courses, uh, which uh, there is a great selection of that. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I took pretty much all the ASSP uh, certificate uh, programs. They're all great. And, uh, you know, some of them are fundamental, some of them are intermediate, some of them are uh, more uh, advanced. So, uh, in a way, great uh, opportunities for professional uh, development. And maybe, maybe I should mention uh, what I learned from uh, Fred Manuel when uh, he introduces uh, himself. He's, what, 96 years old now? And, you know, he introduces himself as a student. And I said, Fred, you're not a student anymore. And he said, let me tell you something. You know, you never stop learning. And I will always, always remember that. Absolutely. I think that that's a great note to end on, as we've talked about today, that there, there's always more more to learn about, you know, assessing uh, hazards and risks. And I hope uh, you know, our listeners you know, think about how they can do that in in their own careers to always be doing everything they can to understand those hazards and risk and uh, helping keep workers safe. Well, uh, thank you so much again for uh, for coming on, George, and uh, sharing your insights. I uh, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, thank you for the opportunity, and I really appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. And follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.